Well, now we come to that time in the service when it's time to hear God's word read and then also proclaimed and preached in the form of a sermon. And so um, I'd encourage you to join with me, if you'd like to, in turning to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. 1 John 2, 28, up through chapter 3, verse 3. And this is our passage for today. This is the passage that uh, I would have been preaching on that I'm normally preaching through um, in our church, Living Redeemer Church, and so I'm just kind of carrying on through that today. Um, so, you know, recently in the background of this text, um, John was encouraging his readers to abide in Jesus Christ, and he was doing that by way of encouraging them to hold fast to teaching that is true, that is truly communicating Jesus Christ. And so now in this text, he will encourage his readers to abide in Jesus Christ in a different way, um, in the form of, in the way of practicing righteousness. And so that is really, I think, the emphasis of this passage in what it teaches. Um, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3, John encourages his readers to practice righteousness, and we will see how that all, what, what all that entails in John's thinking and John's writing. So please um, listen to the reading of God's word and receive it as his word. First John chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. This is God's word. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it and also to its preaching today. Um, allow me to open us up with a word of prayer. Let's uh, go before the Lord asking him to bless the preaching of his word. Well, Father, we uh, receive your word today. Um, we receive this word that you have um, inspired and spoken through your servant John, and we pray this day, O oh Lord, that you would attend to it by the working of your spirit. We pray that um, the preaching of your word would indeed serve your holy purposes, the purposes of advancing your redemption and advancing the redemption that is found in your kingdom, um, that it would um, advance um, our likeness in the image of your Son. We pray that the Spirit would attend to this word and accomplish all these purposes um, according to your will and your promise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now here we um, see in this text, uh, 1 John 2, 28, and I'd say especially in verse 29, um, the heavy emphasis of this passage, the overall emphasis of this passage is um, John is encouraging the practice of righteousness. He's encouraging the practice of righteousness to those who are God's people, to those who belong to Jesus Christ. And 
Notice that language in verse 29. Um, If you know that he is righteous, speaking of Christ probably, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. It appears that John is encouraging those who have been birthed of Christ that they should practice righteousness, that this is a fitting reflection of having been birthed by Jesus Christ to practice the kind of righteousness that Christ himself embodies. Now, what exactly is righteousness? Um, This word righteousness, righteous, you know, we think of that language sometimes. It appears in its usage to speak of conduct or behavior. And in this sense, we could extend it to lifestyle. So John is telling us and his readers that if you've been birthed by Christ, it is appropriate because of that birth through Christ that you practice righteousness, righteous behavior, righteous conduct, righteousness as your lifestyle. Um, Biblically speaking, righteousness is often directed in two different directions in the Bible. You know, your righteous conduct. Behaving in the right way as a matter of lifestyle can be directed towards God, or it can also be directed towards other people. And so it seems like this is involved in righteousness. Um, The language of righteousness would appear to mean we relate to God and we relate to others in the right way, in the way that we should. And we do this as a characteristic pattern of life. This is our characteristic conduct. This is our characteristic lifestyle. This is what John enjoins upon those whom he writes to. Um, If you've truly been birthed by Jesus Christ spiritually, a fitting reflection of that work that has been done to you is that you live it out in a pattern of righteous living. Righteousness as a pattern of life, righteousness as a way of life is what John enjoins upon those whom he writes to. So he does that in verse 28. He shows us that righteousness is is a fitting way to reflect that we've been birthed by Jesus Christ. I think that's what the language of verse 28 says. But then he also gives his readers another way to think about righteous living. And I think he gives us that way of thinking about it in chapter 3, verse 3. So in the first place, righteous living is a fitting reflection that we've been birthed by Jesus Christ. Righteous living, living in purity, in verse 3 of chapter 3, is a fitting reflection of the fact that we, as Christian people, we anticipate that there's something that we're going to become. There's something that God is going to make us into that we are not yet. But we believe so much that that's who we really are, and that's truly our eternal destiny and identity, that we begin living Like, that's who we are even already. And I think that's what he says in chapter 3, verse 3. Notice, what are believers going to become at the coming of Jesus Christ? In verse 2 of chapter 3, John tells us that when he appears, seemingly speaking of Jesus Christ, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. As a result of seeing him, casting our gaze upon him, we will be changed. We will be changed into what he is, and we will be made like him in a way that we are not yet. And what is it that we will be made? Well, in verse 3, the answer is in verse 3. 
what is it that Jesus is that we will be made into, that we will be made like? In verse 3, John uses the word pure. There's a purity that will become true of us who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Um, what kind of purity? I mean, hopefully as believing people, hopefully as people who are seeking to follow Christ, we are seeking to live our lives in purity. And that is certainly a duty of ours, something that is fittingly reflected in who we are as a saved people, a people saved by Jesus Christ. But the kind of purity John talks about here is interesting. In verse 2 of chapter 3, he even, he even says of this kind of purity that what we will be has not yet appeared. So there's an amazing kind of purity that we have not yet attained to in this life. And yet, John tells us that this is part of God's promise to those who belong to Jesus Christ. You will be made perfectly pure. This is who you really are, believer in Christ, right? Um, maybe your life doesn't always look like it yet now. What we will be has not yet appeared. You will be made like him. When he appears, we shall be made like him because we shall see him as he is. As a result of casting our gaze upon him at his coming, we will become pure like he is pure in such a way that we are not even yet pure even now, even though we have begun to become pure, even though Christ has begun that work of purifying us. But if we believe that that is our true identity, if that is our true destiny, then we respond in the way that John describes in verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, just as he, Jesus, the one we are to be made like, just as Jesus is pure, we therefore purify himself, right? So John addresses the believing community. You know, your hope, part of your hope in salvation is that God is going to perfect you. God is going to purify you. You will be perfectly purified as a people set apart entirely, perfectly to God forever. And yet, if you believe that's truly your identity, that's truly your destiny, what's the fitting way to live as a response of that? In verse 3, we begin to live as though that's true now. We anticipate the purity we will have at the end of days. And we live like it now, and therefore we do what John describes, we seek to, we engage in purifying ourselves in verse 3 of chapter 3. If we believe that we are destined for that kind of purity, then we begin to live that way now. And so this is another way John gives us to think about um, um, righteousness, the practice of righteousness, right? It's a ref fitting reflection of the fact that you've been birthed by Jesus Christ spiritually. It's a fitting reflection of the fact that you anticipate you will be purified perfectly. Jesus himself will purify you at the end of time. One other thing that John gives us to encourage us to walk in the ways of righteousness, one other way he uh, describes walking in righteousness and um, helps us to think about um, what exactly should motivate that also I think comes in verse 28 of chapter 2. Verse 28 of chapter 2. And this shows us that walking in the ways of righteousness allows us to have confidence in this life, confidence in the midst of our lives in this world, in such a way that we are confidently walking without shame, right? So I think in the thinking of the New Testament writers, 
The Lord Jesus could return at any given moment. At any given moment, his return could, could happen. His coming could be right around the corner at any moment, any point in time in history. And yet, um, that, that anticipation is to drive for the believing person a sense, of, a sense of purpose, a sense of what your life is for, what your life is meant to reflect. And yet, in order to do so in that way, your life ought to reflect righteousness. Why? Because what is it that Jesus is going to bring when he finally comes again? A state of everlasting righteousness. A state of everlasting righteousness where righteousness prevails in ways that it may not even be possible for righteousness to prevail here and now today. And yet, nonetheless, this is what is promised. And so, but if, if you know that, that that is right around the corner, that that truth of righteousness is about to come at any moment, could come at any moment, as soon as Jesus comes, then you ought to in, really orient your entire life towards that kind of righteousness, the righteousness that belongs to his coming. And if you do so, then you know that you will not be caught in a situation where you feel like you have to be ashamed when he comes, right? That's the thing that John wants us to avoid, right? Don't live in the ways that reflect the opposite of Christ's coming, because when you do so, you inevitably know deep down that you are betraying your Lord. Don't live that way, John says, right? Let's practice righteousness. This is part of what John describes in our text. He describes abiding in him, remaining in him. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's a good part of abiding in him and remaining in him that means trusting in him, believing in him, resting on his promises. But in this context, abiding in him also includes living after the pattern of the righteousness that Jesus himself is, living in anticipation of the purity and the righteousness that Jesus himself is and will bring on the day when he comes. So again, I think we see these three, these three ways of thinking about righteousness in our passage. Verse 29, verse 3, verse 28. They're kind of out of order in the way that I presented them, but they're all there. Uh, practicing righteousness, it reflects that you've been spiritually birthed by Jesus Christ. It's a fitting way to reflect that. Practicing righteousness, it's a fitting way to anticipate the purity that you are promised you will be in the image of one day when Jesus perfects you in chapter 3, verse 3. Practicing righteousness now in this life, it allows us to have confidence when he appears and not shrink from him in shame at his coming there in the language of chapter 2, verse 28. So, you know, certainly the whole Bible encourages us to live according to the pattern of righteousness, right? I think we all know that. I think we all feel that we should live in the pattern of righteousness, right? I mean, I know I do. Um, I think we even know we should even when we don't, even when we fail to live in the pattern of righteousness. We still all know that we should. I think we all do. But that raises the question, how do we do it? How do we do it? How are we able to do it? You know, it's an interesting question because even in this passage, living in the pattern of righteousness is not pre presented as something that's automatic or easy. And I think we have to consider that. Um, 
in the language of verse 1, we're shown that the world we live in is a world where it's not necessarily always comfortable to pursue the ways of righteousness. You know, chapter 3, verse 1 describes the world as that which does not know us because it also did not know him, did not know Jesus. The world does not reflect the purity of Jesus. The world does not reflect the righteousness of Jesus that we are called to emulate, that we are called to live in. The, the purity and the righteousness of Jesus are things that are sometimes alien to the ways that this world operates. And so sometimes in order to do so, in order to pursue righteousness and purity, sometimes we even have to act against the grain of the way this world runs, even against the grain of our own hearts at times, for sure. So how do we do it? How does John want his readers to pursue this righteousness? Well, I think there's, there's a big, huge key in this passage, and it's verse 1 of chapter 3. And I think what John is doing here is He's showing us, yes, you know, we all know that righteousness is important, a worthy goal, something we should pursue. But how does he want believing people to do it? What does he want that pursuit fueled by? He wants it fueled by the knowledge of the love that the Father has for us. And I think he says it in verse 1, right? He doesn't just give us the list of to-dos. Here's what to do. Here's what you should do, right? Um, in some ways, we all know what we should do, but how does he want that pursuit fueled by apprehension of the great love that the Father has given to us? Verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He wants, he, yes, he wants us to pursue righteousness, but how? Fueled by, inflamed by, our apprehension that the Father loves us, that the Father has loved us. And how has the Father loved us? What kind of love has the Father shown to us, right? He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind of love has the Father given to us? Well, you know, John hasn't said this yet, but he's going he's gonna to give it to us later on in chapter 4. And he's going to say, that here's the expression of the love of the Father. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Here is how the Father has loved us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What kind of love has the Father given to us? A kind that is self-giving, self-sacrificial, a kind that even comes across as unconditional. I think, you know, John makes that point in chapter 4, verse 10, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, um, right? God gave his son even when we were not even willing to reciprocate the kind of love that he showed to us. What kind of love is this other than what we consider an unconditional love? And this is what John wants us to consider as we are uh, considering the pursuit of righteousness fueled by seeing, knowing what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind of love has the Father given to us? A very unconditional love. A love of 
that's piled upon unworthy recipients, those who were not even perhaps able, not even willing to reciprocate the love that has been given. And it's at that moment that God chose to give his son to die for the sins of those who believe in him, those who trust in him. And I think that's what John's point is. See what kind of love you've been shown. The Father has made you into children of God. And so consider that. Let that rest upon you. Think upon that. How should you respond to that? Well, the way that makes me want to respond is to try to serve him, to try to reflect his praise and his glory and his honor to the rest of the world, to those around me. I think that's how we should respond. I think that's what John wants us to consider. Um, um, you know, how do we pursue righteousness? Well, in biblical terms, it seems like it should be as a very like, authentic response of our hearts to the love we've been shown, right? True righteousness is truly rooted in love that is shown, and love that is shown is truly inflamed by love that has been received. And I think that's what John has in mind here. He wants us to be fueled by the love of the Father. People of God, um, know your Father's love for you. Know the love that you've been given in that you are called a child of God. Know at what cost he made you his child. Know that he did not withhold the giving of his only begotten beloved son. And then, as you take that in, consider what response you're called to. Consider how you can reflect the kind of righteousness that John speaks of. I think this is what we are called to. This is what we need to consider. We need to remember who we are, who we are according to God's love and God's promise. And as we remember that, hopefully we feel motivated to reflect that to the world. That's what we're called to, right? Righteousness is not about just checking things off a checklist. It's about knowing who you belong to knowing who has loved you, knowing who loves you still, and then seeking to reflect that love to others around you and to God in the way you relate to him. Well, let's consider these things. Um, let's maybe, let's go before the Lord in prayer at this time and let's consider what it is that we have heard uh, from his word. Father, we, um, what can we say in response to the kind of love that you've given to us? What can we say in response to being called children of God? Um, what can we do that, would, that we could ever think could ever match up to the gift that you've given to us? And yet, even still, you call us. Um, amazingly, you, 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 amazingly, you ask us to do these things. You command us to do these things, to live according to the pattern of your righteousness. Oh, Lord, um, please strengthen our hearts. Please root us in your love and in the work of Jesus Christ. And we pray, pray, please, Spirit, work these fruits in us so that these fruits flow out of us to the praise and honor and glory of God, our Savior. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.